Welcome to the Day Before Leadership Podcast. I pray it encourages you to move from surviving to thriving in your leadership. If you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe and share it. Here's today's interview. Chris, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Glad to connect. Thank you so much for joining us, man. God's doing great things in your life and the life of your whole family. You're part of Bourbon Street Revival. For people who don't know what that's about, tell everybody what's going on on Bourbon Street and, and what the Lord's doing. Yeah, the last two years, we have been in a, a move of God um, happening in a bar uh, in the 600 block, right in the middle of Bourbon Street in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Um, it was accidental. Short story is the bar owner got saved, uh, saw some people ministering on the street, said, y'all must be real Christians. So I want you to teach me about the ways of Jesus. And they began to disciple him. And then he uh, had a dream where the Lord came to him in a dream and said, don't sell your bar because he was going to sell it. And, uh, the Lord said, don't sell your bar. Cause I have need of it. So he says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but maybe have church in the bar. And so he tells the people discipling him and they, they hear from God to bring me in. So they call me and say, we followed your ministry for some time. We felt like God said, you're to come in. Would you be willing to do worship in a bar? And I brought my team. I said, 100%. That's obviously the kind of thing we do. We're, we're, we obviously lead worship, but we're missional, evangelistic in our, in our heart. Our DNA is just that. You know, we, we believe the presence of God is not just for church meetings, but it's for the lost and that God wants to meet people right where they're at. So, um, yeah, we went into that bar. And what I thought was going to be a cool meeting or a cool, yay, we did worship in a bar. That was a cool one-off. Turned into something we could have never expected where the meeting lasted for four to five hours. And we saw literally dozens and dozens of people the first night come into the bar and get saved, fall on the ground, give their lives to Jesus. It was one of the most powerful times in the presence of God I've personally ever experienced in my life. So we came back. And again, and again, and again, and the rest is history. You know, um, it continued to grow. We began to baptize people after they would get saved on our meetings right on Bourbon Street. Um, it felt like something out of, a, out of a church history book or something. I mean, I'm shouting to the streets of, uh, on Bourbon Street saying, if you want to be saved right now is the time. Give your life to Jesus. And we're baptizing people. So, you know, we are just uh, preaching the gospel. It's a worship movement in a bar a lot of church people ask are you throwing them back while you're leading worship no we are not absolutely not this isn't kumbaya my lord we're not playing patty cake with the devil we're literally going into this bar we are taking over we are um it's the name of the bar is saints and sinners totally ironic and and on point um and uh yeah there's saints there people have come from all over the world all over the country every single time we gather to experience it to be revived and also of course we've seen everyone from gang members drug cartel uh you know to just your average lost person partying on in new orleans come in and get saved and and get touched by jesus so it's it's a genuine move of the holy spirit and man we're just um, now starting to go every week starting to disciple starting to teach we've really just found our base out, out of this bar and uh it's a wild thing, man. It's definitely a crazy thing. 
Man, praise God. That's so awesome. Every saint has a path. Sinner has a future. Wherever you're watching this, wherever you're listening to this, man, God is doing incredible things in New Orleans. Chris, it's awesome to see not only you doing this, but your wife serving alongside of you. Talk to people about what it means to do ministry alongside your best friend, your wife, and tell us a little bit about people who are doing the Lone Ranger Christian thing. They're out there doing ministry without their family. And talk to us about the benefits of doing that together. That's a beautiful question, and it needs to be asked because I think the culture is changing in ministry right now, at least uh, in the West, where we've had the ability to do things by ourselves. And um, there's been roles and different ways of doing things culturally in ministry. I will say, yeah, you know, my wife, Danielle, and I have been married for going on 12 years. Um, you know, she's a worship leader, songwriter, um, just an incredible lover of Jesus. And, you know, it's not always been easy. It's not always been a straight path. It's been difficult at times having children to do ministry as a family. You know, we traveled the world together doing itinerant. And, and I mean, we've been everywhere from, you know, she was, took our one-year-old while, while she was pregnant to the Middle East for months. And then we were all over Europe. And I mean, you know, we've been to Asia. So once we had kid number three, it was definitely more difficult. But we have always fought for it. The truth is this. It's easier to do ministry alone. It is more difficult. It costs more money. Uh, all the things you can think of, it's more difficult to do ministry as a family. However, doing so, paying that price up front, I think produces more longevity, not only in marriage, but in our children. Because if ministry is just something that dad does or one parent does, and it's not something the family does, then it's not generational. And if it's not generational, it can't be carried on past that one person's gift or charisma or own anointing or ministry. And we believe in multi-generational ministry where the children are a part of it, the, the family is a part of it. It's all of us doing it. And um, it's been hard, you know, it's extra money. It's, it costs more to take the family, it costs more. It's, it's, it, it, it's always easier to go the lone route. But uh, I think it pays dividends to do that in the family aspect. And so not only with my wife, but, you know, with our children as well. And, you know, with, with, with Danielle, it's been, um, again, it's been a challenge to figure out those roles and like where we each fit. But man, there is, you know, and you, you, you know this probably as well, that it is so important to have your spouse by your side, man. Like I, I could receive a word from the greatest prophet in, in the world but I'd rather receive a word from my wife. You know what I mean? Like her words to me matter. And I'm, I'm, I know it's the same for me to her. So yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And we're stepping into even more of, of doing even more together where it's, it really is, we're doing things as one. So I'm thankful, man. Man, thank you for y'all's example. That's awesome. It's awesome to see your children are part of that as well. You guys lead worship. You talked about your wife leading worship. When you think about worship in America today, what comes to your heart and what word would you speak to people about what worship truly is and what we've allowed it to become in America today? Well, I mean, this is a, this is a big thing. I mean, you, you touching a nerve in my heart because I believe the worship movement as it were um, speaking of really just in context, when I use that term of the, the culture of worship in the church uh, it's, it's always an issue all the way back from the beginning of, you know, the people of God, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, the worship culture, I would say this, the focus and purity of our worship will be the efficacy of our impact. The truth is, is that 
um, the worship movement of the church today, while we have great, you know, songs coming out and, and, and wonderful meetings and the presence of God seemingly uh, is, is, is as powerful as ever in our worship gatherings. Um, you know, I do believe, um, oh, did I go, did I go blank on you? Can you hear me still? Someone called. I think they tried to interrupt me. My bad. Um, we bind the devil. No, um, <laughs> but bro, I think the worship movement, I think the worship movement has become like Esau. I think the worship movement is a heavy word and I'm not going to go too deep into it without bringing some hope, but I think the worship culture that we have in the American church, at least is become Esau. We're a movement that, um, trade has traded our inheritance to carry the very face and presence of God in our worship as the priesthood, uh, for temporary pleasure. We've traded it for fame and influence and money and, and hit songs. And instead, you know, we, 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 we've left the church spiritually bankrupt, um, in many ways because, um, or we have worship celebrities and we're like Israel, right? In the old Testament where they said, give us a King. We want a King to lead us. I believe we've asked for celebrity Christian culture to lead us in place of God in many aspects. And it's, it's very hidden. You know, idol worship is never something that's really out on front street. Often it's, it's such a cultural foundational thing to us. It, it evades us. We don't see it, but um, I believe God is going to provoke the worship movement as it were with young Davids and these will have no Instagram following. They will have no giant platforms. They'll simply be young men and women who've been in the secret place, who've been in the hidden place ministering before the Lord. They're going to step onto the scene and they're going to provoke the old corrupt dry dead order. Uh, and, and they're going to where you know, do we got three churches in, in America, really three churches in the world, writing and producing 95% of the songs that the church sings. So there's no original sound. There's no indigenous worship and music even coming out. We've become a mockingbird culture. We sing everyone else's songs. I think that's an issue. I think God has a specific sound and, 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 a, and, a, and with that sound comes a specific anointing for the people of that city. Um, Again, I'm writing a book on this right now called The Priesthood, and it's a very deep personal issue to me, so I'm not going to take all day on this one question, but I do believe something's coming that's going to provoke us. I think it's going to provoke us to jealousy. We're going to remember what we've lost. We've settled for good meetings when we could have had worship that was literally exhibiting the face of God for the lost and the saved to be revived and to be saved, and I, I, feel, like, I feel like that's coming and I think it's going to uh, embarrass us a bit because we've fallen so in love with polished, pretty sounds. And I will leave you with this on that. The Lord says in the Old Testament to, to anyone who would build him an altar, he said, do not build me an altar made of hewn stone, but only of the dust, of the dirt and the rocks of the earth. I want unhewn, unpolished. Why? There's something about it being authentic, being real. And um, I think God is about to erupt with real, raw spirit and truth, worship and praise that ushers in God's glory and presence like we honestly have, have, have not known before. And it's not going to be just a sound for the, the church. It'll be a sound that calls in the harvest to be saved. Wow, man. Come on. Thank you so much for sharing that word with us. You mentioned anointing. I wanted to just for a minute here. Speak to the worship leaders and leaders in the church and pastors and tons of people who are going to watch this and listen to this who are operating out of their gifting 
not their anointing. They know how to sing. They know what to sing. They know what to preach. They've done it for so long, yet there's no anointing there. Talk to us about what you've learned about the difference between operating in your gift and operating in an anointing. Well, I've learned most people don't recognize the difference. Um, I've learned that um, most of the church probably thinks gifting is anointing. We only know the difference when someone with real anointing actually steps up because then we go, whoa, that's different. We've been used to this. Remember when Jesus walked the earth, they said, we've heard the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the experts on religion, the scribes, the Pharisees, the we've seen all them, but this man speaks as one his words are burning in our heart. You know, this one it speaks as one with authority. I think anointing is, is speaks to proximity and nearness to uh, it speaks to intimacy with the Holy spirit, intimacy with God, nearness to God. It speaks to one who, you know, anointing means smeared. It means smeared or covered in the oil of, in the oil of the Holy spirit and the nearness of God. If you've been near to him, People know it doesn't matter how many titles you have before your name. They said of the disciples, these men are unlearned and untrained, but they have been with Jesus. When you've been with him, that's anointing. He's the anointed one. So when you get close to him, the anointing gets on you. The gift works without repentance. The Bible says, as you know, and we all have heard a million times, the gift of God is without repentance. The truth is, man, the gift works even when we don't. The gift works even when we're not. We can be unhealthy and brokenness, you know, our marriage is broken, our relationships broken, living in sin, whatever, but the gift will still work. The gift, though, can never bring people closer to Jesus. The difference is this. The gift at, in operation draws people to the person. The anointing in operation brings people to Jesus. That's the difference. And so the gifting makes people go, wow, look at them. The anointing makes people go, man, I want to know Jesus more. Come on. <laughs> that's so good, Chris. Man, that's going to bless everybody whenever they watch this or listen to this word. Man, last question. I want to honor your time. Uh, you've had so many mentors in your life, people who've invested in you. Who are your two biggest mentors, spiritual giants, and what are the two greatest lessons they've taught you? Maybe do it in the form of a quote, like maybe just a saying, hey, they taught me this, and this is what it means. So you two biggest giants and the lessons that they Man. Um, well, I can tell you this, the, the, the men and women that, uh, that I have, that have impacted me are typically those who walk with a limp. They're ones who have been through it and they're not, uh, they don't have, they haven't had it all together. They've been broken and crushed by God. I remember Lou Engel telling me, which, um, he has to be one of the voices for us. Him and his wife, Therese, have been just a huge influence on us for many years. And Lou is one of the most incredible men of God. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lou Engel of the call or different things like that. But I remember Lou telling me one time, he said, God uses greatly those who he wounds deeply. And I don't think there's ever an escape from uh, the cross. And I think that God will, God's trying to kill us, man. You know, he's trying to, the truth is, is, is those who embrace, um, you know, the cross and, and, and that, that way are typically some of the most powerful I've met. Um, there's so many, this is such a hard question. I will say, um, you know, one, one of the, um, uh, other people that I would say has impacted me, um, 
you know, in a deep and powerful way is, is a, a relatively um, unknown guy. And his name is Brad McClendon. And, you know, Brad is, um, you know, he's just one of these guys that um, walks in such wisdom and power. And not many people would know of him, but uh, he is a true father. He's a true apostle. He's, he's someone that is just, um, is not in it for himself. He's really a father trying to see others go higher than him. And I think that's, that's what I've learned. I've probably learned more about how to be a father and a discipler and a, and a, and a leader from um, a lot from looking at what not to do, <laughs> because there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they, they lead from the place of orphan, an orphan mindset, and they're still trying to get there. They're not leading from a place of sonship. And I think the best fathers are the best sons. They're the ones who, who, who have learned to submit is typically what I've found. So, man, there's just so many. How could I ever, how could I ever, but yeah, that Lou, man, him, I, Damon Thompson is another one. I don't know if you know Damon. Damon is another wonderful father in the Lord. And um, so there's just too many to name. I hope someone doesn't hear this and go, man, Chris didn't mention me, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, so good, Chris. Thank you so much. You know, something on my spirit right now is what you mentioned about, uh, leader as from an orphan mindset versus a son mindset. Wonder if you could pray for people who are watching this, uh, men and women of God, people who may even don't even have a relationship with God, but they're leading from a, a different mindset than the one that the Lord intends them to lead with. Would you pray for those who are watching and listening? I will. I'll just I just pray for for those listening now, God, that you would explain to them, you would reveal to them, you would show them they are sons and daughters of, of the living God. They're not orphans. They're not fighting for something that they don't have. They're not fighting because there's only so much to go around. That's not the truth. That's a lie. There is, a, there is an inheritance reserved for them for their life, and they access it by walking with you as a son, as a daughter, walking close with you. And so, Father, I just bless those right now. I pray you'd reveal to them that their destiny, their calling is so great that if they knew the fullness of it, they'd never be jealous or covet another person's uh, calling or destiny because theirs is so great. So, Father, I pray you'd fill them as Paul prayed with the knowledge and the wisdom of God in their calling, that they would know and comprehend those things that you have called them to do and called them to. And, Father, I bless them. I pray you call them into the secret place more than ever, even now that they'd be hungry for you to know the true and living God above all else in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for spending time with us today. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. My pleasure.